Chapter Twenty Seven of The Boy Chums in the Florida Jungle by Wilmer M. Eli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Twenty Seven Burning Out the Jungle. When the boys left the machine to return to camp, the men were in the highest of spirits, and the ground men were joking bossy about his red face. I really believe that dye business is going to work out to our advantage, Charlie remarked to his chum. Those Spaniards will not be so likely to get frightened next time at a little thing they do not understand. I hope you're right, Walter said, but if these night attacks keep up much longer, I believe all the men will quit, and I shall not blame them if they do. One cannot expect men to work hard and then have targets made of them every night, all for two dollars a day. No, Charlie agreed, but we have got to hold them as long as we can. I am in hopes that Mr. Bruce will come to our rescue in some way. If he does not, and this sort of thing continues, we are bound to go under sooner or later. We will simply be unable to keep men on the job. How do we stand now? Walter asked. I haven't figured it out exactly, his chum replied, but we are not much ahead of the game, for our expenses so far have been enormous. After this month's wages have been paid the men, we will have but little left. Of course, we have got the part of the reward for the convicts coming, and the money from the sale of the rings, but we have got neither of those yet and we cannot tell when we will get them. We are well equipped for three months ahead now, plenty of food, a new pair of mules on the way, and new parts for the machine. We will be under but little expense for several months to come. We are making good money on the digging, and if we could continue it in peace, we would have a good lump sum coming to us at the end of the job. But if this interference keeps up, the machine will be laid up, and we will be broke. That's all. But there's the money for what we have already done, suggested Walter, hopefully. We will not get that until the middle of next month, his chum said gloomily. If we are forced to quit the job before then, we will get nothing. The county will keep it for failure to carry out our contract. We have just simply got to keep the machine working, that's all. When the boys arrived at camp, Charlie went at once to the hospital tent, where he found both sick men slightly improved. He left four quinine tablets with each, with directions to take one every two hours. To Chris, he gave instructions to prepare some rich broth and dry toast for the invalids. This done, the two lads turned in and slept soundly until well along in the afternoon. They found the captain had not been idle while they rested. With his graders, he had thrown up mounds of dirt and roots every fifty feet and circling the camp. Good, approved Charlie, as he viewed the old sailor's work. When we get behind those, we will be fairly safe from bullets. I wish those trees out there were out of the way to give the enemy too much protection. There are only about a dozen of them big enough to give any protection, Walter observed, 
Why not blow them up with dynamite? The suggestion was a good one, and they immediately set about carrying it out. Assisted by the captain with his graders, they dug holes under the tree's roots, and, placing several sticks of dynamite under each, thus exploded them with a fuse and cap. The powerful explosive blew the big trees clear out of the ground and, in some cases, many feet above ground before they fell. That's better, said Charlie, with satisfaction, when the job was completed. We can make still another improvement, Walter suggested. Why not set fire to the roots? They are pitchy enough to burn good, and the fires will show up anyone trying to approach the camp. The idea was so feasible that the lads carried it out at once, and by the time night fell, a bright, glowing ring of fires surrounded the camp. I don't believe they will bother us tonight with all those fires going, but we'll keep watch just the same, Charlie said. We cannot be too careful. The camp was not molested during the night, but about the middle of the night there came explosions at regular intervals from the direction of Indian Town. Charlie chuckled. They are shutting the stable door after the horse is stolen, he remarked. They are blowing up the bridges between here and Indian Town. I expected that would be their next move. That's why I was in such a hurry to get the provisions from the Indians. But the blowing up of the bridges ahead of us will stop the machine, Walter said. No, it will only delay us a little, his chum replied. It's easily remedied. When the machine gets to a blown-up bridge, it will simply face around and fill up the gap with mud and sand, and after it has passed over, it will dig out the gap again, and our bridgemen will put in a new bridge, which they would have to do anyway. I see, said Walter, greatly relieved. Things are not always as bad as they seem. But while the lads had reason to be thankful for a quiet night, they were not encouraged by the state of affairs in the camp next morning. Two more men, a ground man and a grader, were down with the fever. The condition of the other two sick men was greatly improved, but it was plainly evident that it would still be several days before they would be strong enough to go to work. The lads provided the new sick ones with medicine and made them as comfortable as they could before they, themselves, retired to rest. You'll have to get along with one man today and let the other one go on the machine gang, Charlie told the captain. Tomorrow the guards will be rested up and you can have them to help you. Walt and I will keep watch alone hereafter. If this thing keeps up much longer, it will not need the enemy to put us out of business, he remarked to his chum as they prepared for bed. We can't spare another man off the job. If just one more man caves in, we will only be able to run the machine half-time, and that's a losing proposition. The worst of it is that we cannot get into town to get more men until Kennedy returns with the mules. I can't imagine what's keeping him. He ought to have been back yesterday. Well, let's not worry until the things actually happen said Walter, sleepily, as he stretched out on his cot. It don't pay to cross a bridge until you get to it.
We have got to set fire to that jungle today, said Charlie, some hours later, as rested and refreshed, the lads ate their mid-afternoon meal. The machine is within a thousand feet of it now. It will not do to wait until it gets closer, for the heat from that fire is going to be intense. We can't do better than to start it right now. The wind is blowing away from the machine, so the crew will not be troubled with the smoke. The boys stopped at the first woodpile and split up a log of fat pine into long sticks for torches. Carrying these and a plentiful supply of matches, they made their way out to the edge of the jungle, which was not far from their new camp. Lighting their torches, one went north and the other south, scattering fire as they went. After they had started blazes for a couple of hundred yards either way, they returned to the road and watched the progress of the flames. Isn't there danger of it sweeping on into Indian Town? asked Walter, as the flames began to mount skyward. No, replied his chum. I made sure of that before I decided to set fire to it. There is a creek running along the other side of the jungle that will stop its progress. Just look at it. Did you ever see anything like it? The two boys stood and watched with awe the mighty conflagration they had started. The jungle was filled with dead and dying trees, which flamed up like tinder at the fire's breath. Soon the flames were shooting up forty or fifty feet high, and the roaring was like that of a mighty tempest. The heat quickly grew so intense that the boys were compelled to retreat slowly back to the machine. Even there the heat could be felt, although it was a thousand feet to the jungle, and the wind was blowing the fire away from them. The engineer stopped the machine for a few minutes to give all hands a chance to view the wonderful sight. As the pillars of flame and smoke reared themselves skyward, the boys realized with astonishment that the jungle that had seemed so lifeless was really teeming with life. From both sides of the mighty blaze rose great flocks of blue and white cranes, egrets, whoopers, owls, parrots, great scarlet flamingos, and dozens of strange birds, the like of which the boys had never seen before. Nor was animal life lacking in either number or variety. Hundreds of hairy swamp rabbits, as big as a small dog, poured out from their doomed hiding places. Great big rats, by the thousands, swarmed by the machine. A couple of deer went by, covering the ground with great bounds. Wildcats, foxes, squirrels poured forth in great numbers. One huge, sprawling object emerged from the thicket, and lumbered toward the machine, but before reaching it, turned aside and sunk with a splash in a nearby lake. Whew! breathed the engineer. That was the grandfather of all alligators. He must be all of twenty feet long. As the fire spread to either side, the flow of animal life was diverted in other directions, and their rushing by the machine ceased. I believe that fire will kill every snake in the jungle, Charlie declared with satisfaction. I doubt it. They will just keep underwater until it is all over, his chum replied. That water is shoal and stagnant, 
charlie reminded him burning branches and trees are dropping in it all the time i'll bet it is actually boiling by now end of chapter twenty seven